Hi everyone, I'm Stephanie, a mom to a Mito fighter. On our podcast, Energy in Action, we talk all things Mito, and I'm glad you're here to learn and to be part of our community. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Energy in Action. I'm your host, Stephanie, and as always, I am so thankful to be here with all of you, and I appreciate everyone for tuning in and sharing our stories and telling others about our podcast. It really means a lot to me to see the growth and to have others come up and say, wow, I learned a lot from last week's podcast. So thank you everyone for sharing that information. As you know, here on Energy in Action, we talk all things mito and rare disease. And on our show today, we are discussing a topic that is near and dear to me, and that is transition planning. Thankfully, many of our family members are living longer and aging out of pediatric care. Sadly, the world of medicine hasn't caught up to the power of hope, and moving from peds to adult care is not always smooth. As a matter of fact, it can be very rocky. And our family has been going through transition care. And I like to say that it's like puberty. It's puberty for healthcare. It's ugly and it's mean, but it's necessary. In the last year, we have made headway into establishing care for Ted in the adult world. Some of the specialties were a breeze and quite often most were not. It's like reliving the early days all over again, telling the story of how we got to the place we are at now, explaining, reminding, and at times placating. At one point last summer, I may or may not have yelled at a physician who was being bold and questioning Ted's medical records, and in the heat of a very delicate medical situation in the neuro ICU, I loudly said, what was the point of keeping him alive all these years and working so hard to give him a great life if you're going to kill him now that he's 21? Just because you haven't had a patient like this in adult care doesn't mean they don't exist. And that brings me to the guests of our show. You will love their energy. Lauren Kopsik and Ivy Braun. They are the founders of the Healthcare Navigation Project, or formerly known as Parent It Forward. The Healthcare Navigation Project is the first independent public healthcare literacy and life skill program for all youth as they transition to adult care in their families. Lauren is a rare disease mom, and like many of us moms, she knows how to be in the trenches. She knows our battle scars, and she knows that we all keep our little diaries and lists of who and where and what what to say and how to find the, the experts to guide us to the next step that we need to get to. Ivy worked in the public school system and is a certified nurse practitioner and has also worked with youth moving into adult care and, and has seen the struggle of so many patients trying to find the resources that they need and, and having health inequity. And so th- these two ladies joined forces together and their energy is absolutely amazing. They like to say that they're like the farmer's commercial. They know a thing or two because they've seen a thing or two. And like these two ladies, I love to share what I know so that others don't have to keep carving out the path. As always, everything we talk about on this show is going to be linked in our show notes. So sit back and enjoy our energetic conversation. Lauren, why don't you go ahead and start us off and give everybody an introduction? Hello. Thank you so much for having us on today. I'm so excited. And I know we we talked a little bit before the button was pushed, so I'm really excited to be here. I'm talking to you from the beach in Milford, Connecticut. I'm the founder of the Healthcare Navigation Project that was called Parent It Forward. We were founded in April of this year. So we're grassroots and we just had a soft launch on November 10th and our big launch will be next week. So very glad to be here. Oh, wow. This is so exciting. And Ivy, how do you fit in with with Healthcare Navigation Project? 
Um, Sure. So I am a pediatric nurse practitioner for 30 years working with adolescent, well, all age groups, but recently, more recently, adolescent youth. I've also worked in a pediatric ICU and have seen families with rare diseases like familial dysautonomia and kids who were living longer with cancers and, and heart problems. And so when Lauren and I have known each other for a very long time, and so when she started to talk to me about her goals and her plans and her vision and her future, I was like, oh my God, I totally am on board with this. And I understand the importance of transitioning our kids into adult healthcare, as well as, well, what do we do with all these kids who have chronic health concerns that parents and families and guardians are just having a really hard time accessing care. And she's, and Lauren's like, well, I know what I did. So let, you know, I want this project to come forward. And now that both of us are at a point in our lives where our kids are a little bit older and we're not the ones making the million phone calls and getting up in the middle of the night, I was happy to team up with her as she's has launched this nonprofit, which I think is fabulous. And I think has such a role in today's world. And I'll let you know Lauren talk about how it's an independent project and program. So we don't, we're not tied by, you know, by politics and by healthcare and by the system. Our goal is to get people to be more aware of, this, of what, what is available to them in the system. Yeah. I think when we were talking prior to hitting the record button, the, the what I kept hearing the most out of the two of you is that it's almost like a secret society. You have to have the, the password to get past the door to find exactly what resources are available and how to access them. And it really shouldn't be that way, especially when we're dealing with some of our most vulnerable people on the planet. And I don't know if you guys have figured this out yet or not, but I'm probably going to be your third sister. I can't wait to dive in and help you guys because (laughs) this navigation and transition, I know a lot of our listeners have followed me and my son on on his journey on getting, you know, past into adulthood at 23, which I think is just a joke to even consider that adult medicine at this point. But it's, it's just been... It's just been horrific for us. And it's like every day I'm playing whack-a-mole with one more thing that I shouldn't have to be doing because it's like, we've been doing this for 18 years. Why does this have to change? Because he crossed some imaginary line. So I'm excited to learn more about what you guys know and how to help our listeners keep moving and advancing their knowledge forward. And Lauren, you had the best word for it earlier. You called it upskilling and I'm all about upskilling. So upskill me, teach me about the healthcare navigation project. I think I told you earlier, I have two children. My older son is neurodivergent and I was able to teach him how to advocate for himself. The younger one at age 11 was diagnosed with his first rare disease, which is fistulating Crohn's disease at age 11. And then subsequently, in 2015, when we were turned away from a major center, not because they wanted to, but because all of a sudden there was something called a pharmacy benefit manager, and they decided that my son couldn't have the drug that saved his life, that 15 children had died from before him, but it was the only thing left, and we did it. And now, five years later, they wanted to take Remicade away. We were already in the drug program, and it only cost us $25. So any reason they were giving didn't fly. So that's where it started. And I spent 16 weeks the whole summer. My son missed his entire infusion, which is supposed to happen every eight weeks. And then I spent, while I was putting this together, two years 
like you, we talk about at three in the morning, finally, after taking to all these different specialists, seeing things that didn't make any sense to me, I figured it out myself at three o'clock in the morning of an NIH study. And it had all of all, everything my son had. And I don't think it's fair or right that some of us know things and the rest of us don't. And especially when, when, when we were talking about COVID a minute ago, in March of 2020, I was playing musical chairs and I was the person without a place to live at the time. So I found a place, but I was by myself and had all this time. And I noticed that there was this conference that was going on at uh, Fairfield University called the Future of Healthcare. And because no one understood anything back then, they, you could just go on to it because they were just doing it over whatever Zoom or whatever you were doing. And I was the fly on the wall. And the whole time I'm saying, no, 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 no. <laughs> and that's when I decided this thing has to get out there because they're locking down healthcare as we speak and we're not going to be able to navigate it. It's all going to be on, you know, telehealth. And so I made it my business for the last couple of years to just like the long game, you know, and I was able to put this together with Ivy's help. And what we, what we came up with were basically five modules or five courses. The foundation of this project is the most important piece of it, okay? So it includes everything from the CDC's Healthy People 2030 Initiative, which are the objectives, I'll tell you, which is the ability to use your health information rather than just understand it. The ability to make well-informed decisions rather than appropriate ones. And then understand, of course, that health literacy is connected to health equity, the attainment of the highest level of health for all people. And the other piece, and, and I like to say that they came up with it after me because this program was based on that. And then I found these things and I said, oh, my God, this is what we're doing. So I knew we were I knew we were doing everything right because I planned it that way. And I'll tell you about that in a minute. But the other piece of this, which is huge, is we also use the World Health Organization's three what they call their three main components of life skills as as categorized by them in conjunction with UNICEF. And that is critical thinking, which we've been talking about, interpersonal communication skills, and coping and self-management. And keeping that in mind, because my older son is neurodivergent, I made it immersive and based on sensory integration or multimedia. Because I know because I used to do the dog and pony shows. I was in marketing and training and, and all of that stuff that if you leave with a bunch of material, a big, you know, all this, oh my God, and I'll take one, can I have two of those? You know, and you go home and you really mean to read it all, but you put it away because you just don't have time, but you're going to read it next week and then next week. And eventually it goes underneath your bed, right? Because you realize that you don't have time for this and you'll just, you, whatever. But you can't do that with this. So this program is immersive. And when you leave, you know how to do it. The kids and the parents or whoever takes this will understand what they need to do when they leave. They'll have all the tools. 
and then to codify that knowledge, they're supposed to pay it forward. They bring that home and share their information with others. And then there's, you know, some sort of prizey thing involved with engaging in that. But that's, you know, for another day. In each module, we're learning where we came from, where we are, and where we're going. Because you cannot navigate our healthcare system unless you know where it came from. So we talk about the National Committee of Quality Assurance that is basically our ACA. It was formed in 2009 or the end of 2008 to 2009, and they are the accreditation place for everything healthcare. They make the rules, they make the everything, and they are the inventors of what everybody knows in this room as the patient-centered medical home model. That's their model. And not until 2014 did they add in our children, the specialty kits. So back in 2010, I started noticing things with my son's infusions. Little things started happening. It's just like a disease. It doesn't come on like that. There's little symptoms here and there, right? And um, by 2015, we were turned away from a major center, not because they wanted to, but because they had no choice. That's when step therapy was invented. And I didn't know that there was a word for it till more recently, actually. So I decided that I was able to teach my older son to advocate, but not the younger one. I call myself his ventriloquist. So the program starts with understanding the 27 keywords that you need to know, even if it's just a throw out on the telephone, like protocol or override, or just so that you look like you're on their level. So the kids need to, people need to learn that. But our kids that are transitioning to adult care, only 15% of them are being transitioned right now. That number came out in 2018, the American Association of Pediatrics. And so they put together in 2020 a website called gottransition.org. And we put their infographic up in our website if you want to take a look at it. But just like everything else in our wonderful government, it's all based on policy and not actually what the patients may need. So this program acts like what we don't have, which is the dog and pony show. No one is coming to we the people that also happen to be patients and explaining, oh, this is this new thing that's coming out. And now it's going to be this, that, and the other thing. And we're going to sit around and talk about it and learn about it and figure out how to use it. We don't get that. And in most cases, neither is your doctor. So this program is going to teach us all. And then we can bring it to our doctors who need to also be informed about the fact that there's whole hospital systems or what I call three monopoly boards. You learned about it in DC, right? So there's Optum, they own one monopoly board, then there's CVS Caremark, and then I think it's Postscripts with the other one. So in our first module with basic healthcare navigation, we learned all about what I just told you about, but then we learn about how to pick a physician. And we learn about body language and telephone skills. Because if you don't have that, you're not going to be able to do anything, as you know. And then we make a phone call. And I ask the kids, they can tell me a name or we could pick one. We make it fun. And we call. I have a script 
that took 20 years to call data from that are HIPAA compliant. And if you ask the questions, the office has to answer. So I will make the first phone call and then we'll debrief on it. And then the kids are going to actually make phone calls to physicians so that they feel comfortable making an appointment, what questions to know what doctor they want to go to. We don't teach how to fill out forms. We teach you how to make a phone call and get somebody else to help you fill out the form because that's the most useless, worthless piece of your time, right? In the whole piece of all of this. They need to know what you already know. So, so in one module, we call your pharmacist. We believe everyone should know who their pharmacist is, especially in our communities, and they, and they should know who you are and you should know them. Because like things that happened in our family, when my husband lost his job, my son was on a medication that, gee whiz, I didn't know was $500 a pill when it's on the open market. But your pharmacist, if you know your pharmacist, knows all the savings programs, knows what she can do, and she can help you. And one of the biggest things I'd like to share with you today, as I've learned more recently, is there's only two people in the future that are going to be able to help you. One is IT related, as we all know, and the other one is your pharmacist, because if you think about it, the pharmacist is here and they are the only ones that could call your doctor, the pharmaceutical company, your insurance company, and you and probably anybody else. So that uh, we have a whole module on, on that, understanding all about medicines and how to get them and what happens if you move to another state and you're going to college or this or you're that or the other thing. What happens if you need to stay on your parents' insurance policy? Can you? Yes. We, we just learn all of that. We have another module where we talk about, call we call 211. I believe everyone should call 211. And you did this, which means you don't know about them. So 211 is the keeper of every single service in your state you can call any state's two three one or two one one you can call from your state and then i was going to say in new york it's actually called three one one but they'll transfer you over so you can ask whatever you want and they have the ability to research they're open 24 7 and if you have any child that has some sort of you know any any kind of um need, so to speak, they can speak to somebody 24-7 and get whatever help they need without you knowing about it. So it's anonymous 24-7. And that's just one of the things we talk about in, in, in the class, but, but um, that's an overview. So what are the five guiding principles that you use for advocating? The first one we spoke about is if it doesn't make sense to you, it probably doesn't make sense and you shouldn't stop until you can make sense of it, right? That's the first thing. We talk about also that people are people, good, bad, and indifferent. So when we learn about body language and telephone skills, we also teach that you listen. If the person doesn't sound like they're going to be, they're nice, you can hang up. They don't know who you are. You can call somebody else. You don't have to be engaged with somebody that makes you feel uncomfortable or whatever the reason is, right? If 
there's going to be people that are good and bad and somebody that just doesn't even care. And that's okay. You can move on to the next. Another thing we talk about is research, research, and more research. And because in our world, step therapy and the Safe Step Act is everything to our kids, we actually use that piece, that material, the Safe Step Act, which is on the website in, uh, under the ref- uh, resources, gives you the whole thing. And this is what we use in the class. The last two pages are completely filled with nonprofits that have signed on to this bill. So it's a double thing. We're getting them to read the bill so they also understand how to inform their doctors how they can get the medications they need for them. But we also use the names in the back to do the research because I went through five to find nobody that knew how to keep my son on his father's insurance policy past age 26. I had to figure that one out on my own, but I did. So now it's a matter of sharing it with everyone else, right? So what we do with the kids is we have them pick two websites. They could choose their own, but if they don't know, they can just pick one from there. And then we want them to have almost play a game. Like what, what do you see is one bet, you know, what makes one more informative or what isn't informative? Did you learn something from reading it? And, and we have fun with it, but we want to get them to understand that this is how you're going to have to work your world going forward. But everybody needs to know this stuff, not just kids. I do want to interject on that with our program is our design was adolescent to adult, but there are some kids who don't have that always the capability to be able to advocate for themselves. So what we do do is teach families, right? Whoever the guardianship is of that person, we help to teach these same techniques to that person because it's, it, it goes across the board, whatever we're learning, no matter you, no matter where you are, chronologically in the continuum, it applies. Like I was saying to Lauren recently, my, you know, we have Parkinson's in my family and learning that system where, well, the insurance companies cover everything, all these drugs, but they don't tell you that they cover them, but they cost a thousand dollars a month, you know? So how do I navigate next to get the pill that I need? Because really it's going to work. And even if I do the drug program and it's good for a year, after a year, that drug program goes away. And what do I do next? So I think all the princ- all the skills and all the principles that we're applying go across the continuum, no matter what you're physically capable of doing. But it was designed with the intention that Lauren's son initially was, well, how do we transition him to healthcare and what do we do? And then it became like, oh, well, all these kids have issues, whether they can advocate for themselves or not. And how do we get that going? I love that. You're right. Yeah, it does. Right. And we talked about that. My mother, who's just turned 84 and worked for Aetna a million years ago. So of course she knows everything about healthcare. And she was having, literally she admitted every single side effect to a medication, but was waiting four months. So she had the appointment because she knows intuitively they only have seven minutes now, but when you meet with the, she could have as much time as she wanted. So she was living with all of these symptoms just so she could sit down with her doctor. And so I try to explain to her that it doesn't matter if she sits with the doctor. It's about a medication. Your doctor is not the medication. The pharmacy is pharmacist or pharmacologist is medication. And she finally broke down and she called. 
And I told her all the things. You know, we talked about her case. I told her the questions to ask. And at the end, she says, I just want to let you know, I asked you all these questions because my daughter told me I had to. And I'm really sorry that I took up all of your time. And you know what she said to me? Of course I did, but I said, no, mom, what did she say? She said, this was the best part of her week. And she wished everybody would call and ask her things like this because the last thing she wants to do is sit there and fill pill bottles all day. Wow. So, yeah. So having said that, we'll go on a pharmacy one. We talk about never give up anything. (laughs) Once you have it, you will never, ever, 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 ever get it back. And I don't care if you say I will, you won't. So that is, you just say I can't get, I no, no, no. And then the biggest one of all that is now, when, we, when, when I was the fly on the wall at um, Fairfield University, as we know, we talk about the monopoly boards, the National Committee of Quality Assurance, that is the inventor of the patient-centered medical home, incentivized in order to make everything socialized so people could all afford, they incentivized large hospital systems, or what I call the monopoly boards. So one of the 10 questions you now need to ask is, are you incentivized to only refer within your network? Chances are you're going to get one of several answers. One is yes, because they have to tell you if they are. They have... One is, no way, we have concierge medicine, or I would never do that to my patients, right? So you don't, you don't, you don't know what you're going to hear, but you need to know. And once you say the word patient-centered medical home, your doctor will know you know what he knows. And you might find that you get a mouthful of what, all the problems that they're having, and they'll be honest with you. And then you can work on something together right? So what I tell everybody is, especially right now during open enrollment, you have to work backwards from now on till the end of eternity. You have to find your specialist first, find out what hospital network they are with, and then find your primary physician based on that, or you'll never get there. Or it'll be almost impossible. So that is the five principles of that. Wow. But you should still come and take the long version. Absolutely. How can people sign up and how can our young adults in, in the rare world, in the mitochondrial disease world, how can we get signed up to be part of this program? So we just soft launched. We, we actually won in the Cody Award. Or what I say is for, it was, it was called the Nonprofit of the Year or what I call the person that needed the most help. That was us. And so she felt pity and she took us. No. So we was a committee and we won. And with that, she took over. She branded us. She gave us this gorgeous website. She went in my head and put everything I felt and thought out on this website. So I really like you to go to it and you can get to it by just writing the healthcare navigation project.org or you could write the initials. Or you could even write parent at forward, which it used to be the old one. It'll all get you to the same place. You don't need WW. You could just write it out and you'll see. And there's a spot if you want to, once you look at the different courses, you can press a button and ask for more information. And then we could chat and figure out what you want to do, whether it's 
with your support group, by yourself, with other families, however you want it done, we can facilitate it. Have you facilitated in with with different like rare disease groups? Like have you been, do you present like via like Zoom or like how do you present to groups all over the country? So we are in the process. We, we were very lucky. There's a place called Taproot Foundation and they are like, they have this thing called Taproot Plus now. And I want to share that with all my friends in the nonprofit world. And they are like a recruiting firm for nonprofits. That's free, F-R-E-E. They go in and you fill out your your list of, you know, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this. And they put an ad out and you get these amazing people. So we just, we, we just were lucky enough to receive somebody that's putting everything together for us as far as the program by the middle of December. We're going to have a way to do it. I told her it needs to be done on a hybrid scale so that people can be in person, but they can also join on the screen, whether it's in Teams, we might do it in Teams or we might do it in Zoom. So right now you could get on the waiting list and I believe we'll probably start having our first session in January at some point. The holidays are coming up anyways. Um, we've had... We, we were really lucky and we've had some um, a couple of people interested. And so I was able to get um, volunteers to work on this with me, with us, to make sure that it was done in time. There's so many people that are excited about this. It just, it blows my mind really because I felt at times like I was in this all by myself. And when all of a sudden you're at your worst and you're thinking that you're writing to somebody and you find out you actually put your name in for an award, which I didn't know. And somehow things just work out, right? So people believe in you and you go. But when I ran this, I ran the support group for the Crowns Foundation. I found co-founded a mixed adult pediatric and I brought in education to that. So I've been running these kind of things for years, but not this particular program in a, in a formal way, but I've helped Ivy could tell you about, let, let, you could tell her about the family I helped more recently. You know, while we know how we're getting this stuff out, our pro, the, the actual programs themselves will be pushing out probably in January. Lauren, aside from doing the Crohn's Foundation, has been an advocate over those 3 a.m. calls where somebody, a, you know, a friend, a family member, we're all like, all the people that know Lauren is like, oh, we'll call call Lauren. She'll tell you who you should call, who you should talk to, you know, like we were talking before, what paperwork you need to access this information. So Lauren has been doing the modules on an individual personal level for years and where, you know, we, somebody she knows with, that got diagnosed with MS called and, and she said, okay, I'm going to find you the person you need to see in your location, right? You know, five, seven states away, at three in the morning, she finds the guru that you should be seeing and taught the, that person how to advocate going forward for what they needed. And it, you know, again, we, as we all know, as the community that probably listens to you know, it's not about what you, it is about what you know, but it's also about who you know and how, what the access is. So 
who knows this? And, you know, social media has helped and Facebook has been amazing because you can get on a group and start saying who knows this person and who knows that person. But once you know that person, well, how do you get past the first phone call where they say, oh, yeah, we have a waiting list for a year, you know, or our first appointment is in eight months and you know that you need to see somebody realistically today, tomorrow, yesterday, but I want to see them in two months time. I'll give you two months. I don't want to wait nine months. How do we get past that phone call? And that's Lauren has been doing teaching people I know in the years that I've known her how to do that for years. There, there is one little story that I think would be helpful for your for for the listeners is that that particular family they were at a hospital that had one neurologist and she had just been diagnosed her se- beginning of her senior year in college on a full scholarship and she's now lost all feeling from her waist uh, from her chest down it was it was horrible beginning of the school year and so it was Friday. And I said, we're getting her out of there. How far are you willing to travel? I gave her all the, you know, how, you know, what's your world? How far? Blah, blah, blah. So I found um, that Johns Hopkins had 150 neurologists on staff. Not one, but 150. So I know there's something called the concierge in a hospital. So they're on 24-7. And you call the concierge and you say, you know, and, and, the, and the parents said to me, well, Lauren, it's the weekend. We, we'll have to wait till Monday. I'm like, what? Hospital? You think they close? They don't close. <laughs> People are always, there's always a bed. And at two o'clock in the morning, she's right. That was the time I got a bed for them. And they moved in the next day. You know, they, they waited till the morning and they got transferred over there. But people don't know that they can that they can make these phone calls, that there's all kinds of discounts and free things that it you can get in with somebody sooner if you go out of state, because then you get added to their statistics. So all of this is actually benefits to you if you understand how to navigate the system. I think the, the buzzword lately is gatekeep, and I can't gatekeep the information that I know. I am constantly, like you, Lauren, just telling people, well, Exactly what you said. I have said numerous times, hospitals are a 24-7 business. You don't have to wait till Monday. I know care kind of sucks on the weekend, but you can actually make things happen 24-7. And people stare at you sometimes like you're crazy. But the fact of the matter is, is that those of us who have been in the trenches for so long, we just have to start finding ways to tell people what we know so more people can have that knowledge and, and move the healthcare expectations forward. Because if we keep accepting this secret society, we're going to just, as you said, things are just going to keep being taken away, taken away, and we'll never get back. So we have to keep pushing forward to keep gaining the access and the rights that we have. I also think, you know, we always say like the phrase is the customer is always right. And I think people in health, patients of healthcare or users of healthcare forget that they are the customer. They think that the doctors are, or, or the healthcare system, I, wonder, I don't want to Yell, speak out to providers specifically, but the healthcare system is the customer, and it's not. Where the you know you are the customer. So if you're unhappy with the service, you have to be able to push it forward. You wouldn't accept being sold a poor car. You wouldn't be accept you know getting bad meat. Like so, why are we accepting what's not? Nobody should accept what they don't think is proper. Which goes back to Lauren's whole thing. If it doesn't make sense to you then keep going until it makes sense. Because 
especially in in situations of families with rare diseases where you there is no right there's no ceiling because we don't know what the ceiling is yet and so you shouldn't be held back by a ceiling that is meant for the kid with asthma or the kid that is not a rare disease because, well, that's how we've always done it. Well, no, we haven't always done it because we don't know how we're doing it because now my child is 23 and they, we only know up till 18. So I think that learning, learning the system and how to push forward and what got me involved with Lauren is also this concept that even with my own family, where my mother-in-law is trying to talk to the doctors about something with my father-in-law and I say, use the word protocol. Once you say, is that the, the normal policy for here? Is that the protocol? You find that people start, they do talk to you a little bit differently or they say, oh, well, yes, that's our protocol and this is this and this. And you say, well, you know what? If that doesn't work for me, what else can we do? And when you start saying, well, what else can we do? Options start opening up too. And and again, sometimes they don't. And so how do we push that forward more? You know, we're, we push, you know, the world pushes the boundaries always. So why shouldn't our families be any different, no matter where they are, no matter where they live? Ivy, I just love what you just said. Let's push, let's keep pushing the boundaries until, until it makes sense. I advocate always from the mom heart, right? And I think I, I think I see the whole world and advocate from the mom heart. And it just, it, it breaks me so many times when I just see people getting sub care and not getting what they deserve or what, or not even what they deserve, but what's right for that situation. I always, you know, my kids were young, they would say, that's not fair. And I'm like, well, you know, you you can't always be fair, but fair is right for what's, you know, in that situation. If your arm was bleeding and I put a cast on it because your sister broke her arm you guys would both have casts on your arms that would be fair right but you need a band-aid and you need a cast that's how the system works that's funny I just read that analogy because I'm a special ed PTA chair for the high school of of my kids school for special ed and we were uh, talking about inclusion and equity and fairness. And I was just reading that same analogy the other day because National Inclusive Schools Week is coming up in the beginning of December. And how do we include our kids? All, all these kids with, you know, whether it's learning disabilities or rare disease, and how do we make everybody feel like it, that they come from the same, but yet they're different, right? So we're, we can't all be the same. We just can't. Right. I just always say fair isn't equal. Yes, they're not. That's not how it works. And but in healthcare, people always want to say, well, that's like you say, that's the that's how we've done it. Well, this is a kid who doesn't fit into the that's how we've done it box or this this patient doesn't fit into the that's how we've done it box. What are the other options? And by asking that of people, I think some people get annoyed because now they have to think right? They have seven minutes to sit there with you and they don't have time to all of a sudden think outside the box. But I think there are a lot of providers and I see this now coming up more and more in the next generation of providers where they want to be able to explore outside the box. And I, I'm finding, and I keep saying, when I go and speak with other groups, I keep saying, please stay curious because curious is what's going to get us out of this situation. Stay curious. Curious is what finally diagnosed my kid, you know, and if you're, if we don't have curiosity happening, we were, we're just going to have status quo. And curiosity is how you treat that that patient that doesn't fit in the standard box. All you have to do is be curious. You don't have to have the knowledge. You just have to know that it's not making sense to you because not every parent, all our parents come from all different 
socioeconomic status. They come from all different educational levels. And that doesn't mean that just because you have more or less that you know better or you know more or you know less than somebody else, right? Yes, our doctor, you know, our healthcare system is educated, but that doesn't mean that I as a parent, they don't know what it's like to live with your child. And we were talking earlier about how you were like, record what your child does and, and share it with your doctors because the truth is, and I say this like, as a provider, I had a family who had a child who had a medical disease that necessitated that they live, they had a flat car seat and the family owned a truck. And we were talking about now he's big and he's too big for the kid car seats. And what do you do now? And how do I get Medicaid to pay for it? And they won't approve it because it needs to go in the front seat because that's all I own as a, as a person. And we talked, she and I used to, the mom and I talked a lot about that stuff and well, what are next questions you can ask and what kind of paperwork can I fill out? And again, all that takes time. So now the providers are like, oh, I don't, you know, I don't always have the time to fill this out. So sometimes I would say to my families, get me the, the wording because you know other people that have gone through this, maybe not your disease, but another disease. Get me the wording and I will put that wording on the paperwork so that we can get it approved. And so that's also some of the understanding of what's out there. And I think the more people you talk to, the more you know of how you get, you know, we want we want our kids to be safe, right? So that kid needs a car seat and the world knows that car seats are safer. Well, sorry, their world exists with a two, you know, a front seat only truck. We're not putting the kid in the back of the pickup. So how are we making them safe? They got to get to their doctor's appointments and unless your doctor wants to come see me in my house and that shouldn't be either. That kid should go out to the park and that kid should get wheeled around and do whatever they're, they're, you know, they live in this world and they are part of this world and maybe they hear and see or feel the world differently than you or I might be walking around, but they're allowed to have all the wants and desires that everybody else does to the best of their abilities. And I think parents deserve that for their kids. And so how do we make that happen? I like what you said about find me the verbiage. Like if you know somebody who got, you know, find me, find me the verbiage, put it back to what we started out this conversation on. What are the key words? Let me speak the language. Yep. Give me, give me the key language because that's what people tune into. And that's how you start unlocking and moving the ball forward. I just want to remind all of our listeners to go out to the website and just really spend some time digging around in there and looking at all the resources that are available because really the only way we're going to help our community is by banding together and becoming a force to be reckoned with. And as I've said, the rare disease world is a large constituency and we're getting louder by the minute. If, If people are interested, they can follow me also on LinkedIn. Oh, good. Yeah, I have a pretty good following. Right, because I was going to say, because our website is still, our website's still a soft launch. If the information that you're looking for is not on our website, it, there is a contact us, and just fill out the contact us. And while our children might be on the older end of the spectrum, we are up at three a.m. Also, still, um, and so those those contact us will be answered with, you know, within a very quick t- turnaround time. And so if we're, the information you're looking for is not there, we, we should be able to at least put you in the right direction if we don't have it. Sign me up for your 3 a.m. contingent. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm happy to dig in and do the research. <laughs> My kids always ask, do you ever sleep, mom? I was like, yeah. I know. I asked you that the other day. I'm like, when do you sleep? <laughs> but it's the healthcare navigation org the healthcare navigation 
project.org. I appreciate having you guys on and I know we are going to stay in contact. I need to, I need to get some skills from you guys because we have a big appointment coming up on Friday and so I'll be circling back soon. <laughs> and thank you so much. All right, all right. Thank you guys. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to this week's episode of Energy in Action. I hope you enjoyed the conversation that I shared with Ivy and Lauren regarding transition care. I would really encourage everyone to head over to their website to check out all of the amazing resources that they have made available. Remember to give us a five-star rating on your listening app. This helps boost us up the charts and it allows other people to find us. Be sure to join us next time. This is your host, Stephanie, Rare Mom Extraordinaire.